Thank you, Holly. Um, I have a friend who's um, now a professor um, in Glasgow University in practical theology, I think, uh, Professor Doug Gay. And Doug um, has been a friend for a number of years. And at our wedding, he said that he'd been there at the three most wonderful times of my life, he thought. The first was when I led communion at Greenbelt to 20,000 festival goers. The second was when I introduced Bruce Coburn, one of my favorite singers, live at that same festival. And the third one he hoped was getting married to Janice on that particular day. And you kind of think of those moments in your life where you think, can this really be happening? And one of those for me um, that Doug wasn't present at was um, when I was uh, a student just after I was ordained, actually, um, into the ministry, my favorite rock band were a band called Deacon Blue, very old school now. But they were my favorite band. And um, over the years, through that Greenbelt Festival, I got an opportunity to meet their lead singer, um, Ricky Ross, a few times. And one week he rang me and said, I'm coming to Belfast, Steve, this week to do the Kelly Show. Um, Is there any chance of going out for a drink of milk, obviously, um, after the show? And it was one of those weeks when I was doing my radio show and I was recording it on the night that they were doing the Kelly Show, so there was going to be no way that I was going to get out with, uh, with Ricky. And I said, I can't make it to go out, Ricky, but if you've got an hour, you wouldn't come in and be on the show. This is my hero. And he said, yeah, sure. So Ricky Ross came into the studio, and as he came into the studio, he handed me his brand new CD that wasn't yet out. And he said, I think you're going to like this. And the show started, and he said, play that song called Calvary. I knew you would like a song with a title like that. And I said to him, oh, absolutely. So you're, one of your heroes is standing in front of you with a CD that the world hasn't heard, and it's a song called Calvary, and you're thinking, it doesn't get much better than this. So I put it on, I said, what's this about, Ricky? A song with a title called Calvary. And he said, Christmas. And I said to him on the show, well, what do you mean it's about Christmas? He said, well, I grew up in the Brethren. Not unfamiliar to many in our congregation this morning. And he said, the thing about growing up in the brethren is, as soon as he gets born, we have him on a cross. And this is a song saying, I'm not ready for Calvary just yet, because there's the life of Jesus to get our heads around before we get him onto that cross. It's an interesting idea that I'll come back to. But what actually does happen after the first cuddly Christmas, although I hope that over the last number of days we've tried to uh, burst the bubble of the nice cuddly Christmas, the idea that that the baby would make no crying um, seems absurd. Um, The idea that this little teenage girl would give birth outside, um, it wasn't sentimental or glorious or romantic for her. Um, all kinds of things going on that certainly take away a little bit of the cuddliness of that nativity story that sits beside our tree in the Fitzroy room of the months. But it gets worse, I think, because when Herod comes into play, it gets very, very messy and violent and vicious indeed. In fact, I know there are a few children among us, but to talk about the things that happen at this Christmas time to little children of Zoe's age and the, maybe some of the whole row in front of us during that baptism 
is almost difficult to utter. Herod knew that something had happened. And Herod knew that that something was going to change his world. And so Herod tried to get rid of this baby as quickly as he could because he couldn't deal with the cost of somebody being above him. Now Herod, if we uh, do our investigations, seems to have had two little things happening. He was quite the architect. He may even have been able to fix the church roof in speedy time. At least he might have got his minions to do it in speedy time. He seems to have built some incredible palaces and a whole seaport called Caesarea and he's uh, trying to get in with the emperor there probably you would have to say in the way he names it. But he also built this amazing temple and it was interesting this week as I was thinking about Herod being the architect of this great temple how that must have come into play in Jesus' mind when Jesus talked about he being the temple and it not being really that temple that we could knock down and he would rebuild it in three days. Yes, he was making reference to this amazing temple, but was he also having a little bit of a dig at the creator or architect of the temple? I don't know. I threw it out and I'll ask Desi for answers maybe a bit later on. But whatever happens on this first Christmas, the story takes us to the other side of Herod who was a man who was ruthless to keep himself in power. He slaughtered a wife. He slaughtered some other family members. There is no secular literature that tells us that he slaughtered babies under two, but it would very much be in keeping to the secular literature that we have about this Herod guy. He didn't like anybody above him, And he wasn't that interested in anybody below him. And this baby's born in the margins. And as this baby's born in the margins, the center quakes. Because the center knows that if this baby really is who we say he is, that all power and dominion is going to be changed. I sometimes say, and I'm probably not exactly right, that Herod had it exactly right. And he he does to a point. He's the one with the scriptures. He's the one that got the theologians in Union College of his day wrestling with it. He was the one who got some meaning to this star, shepherds, angels, baby. And then when he could have been the one to herald the Messiah who'd been long waited He tries to kill him. You see, not all get the gospel. It's very easy for us, and we'll think about this hopefully as next year goes on, how to be a missional evangelistic church. And we will take the love of God to the streets, hopefully. Or we'll invite the streets to come to something we do here. We will do all kinds of different things to take the Christ that we have believed in this Christmas to the people around about us and further away. And we might assume that because these people will get in Christ what they need, which is the love of God, and we all need love, that they will immediately accept this 
God that we have, this Jesus that we believe in. But you see, if they do believe in this Jesus, if we believe in this Jesus, it's going to shudder the center of our lives. And I suggest that today's generation, including all of us, but maybe particularly the younger generation among us, are the most spoiled generation that have ever lived on the planet. Think for a moment, parents, how much Christmas cost us and how much our parents paid for our Christmases. Consider for a moment how easy it is to get what you want. You don't have to go to shops. In fact, did you not say this Christmas... Belfast wasn't as busy as normal. That's because this generation, to be bothered to walk to a shop, catch yourself on. We don't even wait for the envelope. We download it. No. The X factor single, and we know what I've thought of that, goes and seal at midnight, and everybody has it. You don't have to wait till the shops open the next day. This generation can get whatever they want whenever they want. Don't wait 10 minutes to reply to their tax messages or they'll think you've died. (laughs) They will send the police out. Because not only do they get it, but they get it now. Now we laugh at that and so we should. But there's something deep going on in that kind of conditioning that concerns the pastor. If everything you get or you want, you get and get immediately. And there's instant gratification. How in a conditioning like that could a marriage ever work? I don't think it can. And I think we're in danger of creating a generation who will look for that instant gratification all the time. And relationships and family in church and society will let them down. And they will not be able to cope. The most spoiled generation in history. Let me say it to you clearly. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Are you wondering why the church is not full of young people? How could it be? Because they do not want to hear those kinds of words. Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me. Herod didn't want to hear those words. And he knew he might have to. That this new king was going to take the throne well... Not the way he probably imagined that they would. But it changed the center of power. It changed the center of influence. It brought a kingdom that when that kingdom comes, we actually find it hard to live with that kingdom. We think we want it. But when Jesus said to people, do you really want to get healed? You ever think, what did he mean by that? But it's a really good question. Do you really want the kingdom? Do you really want this love? 
Do you really want this interruption of grace? Because as well as the caress of the Christmas story that tells us Jesus loves us, we've got to put somebody above us. And we've got to start living for everybody that's below us. And we've got to be denied. Cross-carrying believers. But let me take you back to Ricky Ross. We get him to the cross too quickly. Do you know, if Jesus had been one of the ones under two who died, that would have been a great one for the American preachers. Oh, he was born and he didn't even get to two and they took his head off for you. Emotional preaching could have used it really, really well. So God mustn't have wanted to put Jesus on the cross straight away. He must have had another plan. That he would live. That he would get to Egypt. That he would get back. That he would grow up. That he would have an ordinary life. And then he would teach us what we need to know in those three years of his ministry. And all of that is important. So now that we've got him born, Ricky Ross is right. Let's not get to Calvary too quick or we'll miss the reason that he went to Calvary and also the way that we should be living if we want to follow this Jesus. Let me, um, Ricky Ross on one side and Milan Kundera on the other side and read you this quote of Milan Kundera, the novelist. I love this quote. Then I'm going to bring them together and take us into the series that starts in Mark's Gospel next week. Kundura says this, a root, if you're American amongst us, a route, okay? We call it a route, they call it a route. They're probably right, look at the spelling. But anyway, a route differs from a road, not only because it is solely intended for vehicles, but also because it's merely a line that connects one point with the other. A route has no meaning in itself. Its meaning derives entirely from the two points that it connects. A road is a tribute to space. Every stretch of road has meaning in itself and invites us to stop. A route is the triumphant devaluation of space, which, thanks to it, has been reduced to a mere obstacle in human movement and waste of time. Here's what Kandura is saying. If you want to get to Bally Castle as we might, take the route. The quickest way is the M2 to Ballymena and then turn right up there at that junction. Now that's the route. It actually could be a quicker route if they really made the route and it could be a motorway the whole way through, which would be a whole lot quicker, but you get my drift. Now a road. A road takes you round the best coastline in the entire world. And we have grown to be those people that love the route. Get us there quickly. Point A to point B, as quick as we can get. And we miss the road as we go. I can remember being up in the Drakensbergs in South Africa and you would drive through these villages and nobody was taking the route there. Why would you take the quickest point from A to B? Because you would miss the family there. You would miss your friends there. You wouldn't be the two hours late that you need to be if you're going to live life. Did you get what I said? 
You wouldn't be the two hours late you need to be if you're going to live life. Because we just take a route and get it done with. Now the gospel could be a road or a route. We could get him born and straight to Calvary. The fastest route we can get there. We can just stay at Calvary. We can just hang around the foot of the cross. And we can just ponder the foot of the cross. But we would miss the life. The eternal life that Jesus came to show us. And teach us on the road on the way to that cross. In fact everything he does gets him nailed on that cross. He's born. They're trying to kill him. He goes into the synagogue and heals somebody on the Sabbath. They're trying to kill him. He says that this Roman soldier's got more faith than all the people in the family of God and they're trying to kill him. They're trying to nail him the whole way from that birth, or most of it, to Calvary. And as we take the road through Calvary, we pick up as we go discipleship. Now, in my sort of imagination, I have us picking up little items. It's almost like a scavenger hunt as we go through. We stop at these stories and we ask, what do we need to learn from these stories and what do we take with us as we head on the road to Calvary and then through Calvary, out the resurrection, the Holy Spirit poured out to live this life of a community of believers. If we take the route there, we will have no idea how to live on the other side of it. And so as we come to Mark's gospel next week, we want to start this journey, this Christmas, and we want to take the road, every moment of it having meaning in itself, to pick up all those things that Jesus is wanting us to pick up if we're going to get the blessings of the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world the blessings of the one who is raised to life that we might live that resurrection life, the blessings of a spirit-filled life that we got at Pentecost. But unless we take a road, unless we dally along the road at times to pick up the meaning, we will never really be those believers and that church that from the margins can still shudder the centers of power. Let's pray together. Our God, already in this Christmas story, we find the impact of this interruption of grace. Those who panic because their control of their lives might be gone if the kingdom comes and God's will's done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we might understand what it costs to follow this baby. And that over these next weeks, as we go into the gospel and we take it as a road towards Calvary, that you would teach us things as we go that will make us into those holistic believers that live a life that could be as dangerous as that of Christ's. That from the margins we might shudder the centers of power. And we might indeed see your will done in the Holy Land. At Queen's University. Down Botanic to the city centre. 
out to the suburbs as it is in heaven. We ask it in your name. Amen. It's the anniversary. No, we'll have our offering before we look at anniversaries. Let's continue to worship God in our offering.